Blog Talk Radio.
Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are awesome. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that we will fall deeply in love with you. Because I don't think we love you enough. I think when Odin Hedrick was taken there to heaven and he knelt before you and one tear had dropped from his eyes and you told him, Odin, that tear represents how much you love me. And he was surprised. And he said, oh, Lord, I thought I loved you way more than that. And he said to him, Odin, you have a lot to learn about love. Knowing the sacrifice that Odin had made with his daughters traveling around, singing in different places and leading people to you, the untold number of years that he acted as a pastor in a small church in Marysville, Pennsylvania, the dedication that he showed you, and hearing those words being said to him can only indicate to those of us that it is highly likely, if not certain, that we're not in love with you as much as we should be. Lord Jesus, we pray, please, help us to fall absolutely and utterly in love with you. Father, help us to fall absolutely and totally head over heels in love with you. To be awed, to be amazed, and to be so hungry and thirsty to be in your presence. To love you more than anything on the earth, anything that we can possibly even think of. That there would be nothing here, not a spouse, not even a child, that could compare to the love, adoration, and total dedication that we desire to have for you. As we pray in the morning, Lord Jesus, we pray, please, please, help us to fall in love with you, absolutely in love with you. But I also ask you, please, please, Lord, let it not be through um, a TV series or a movie series or something that depicts you as being a, quite a bit different than how you actually are for the sake of entertainment purposes or drawing a crowd. Let us understand your heart. Let us feel your heart and understand how your heart felt as you were betrayed even on the night of the Passover. Sometimes the words that we read in the scripture that describe the things that happened, there's it's very difficult to derive an understanding of the emotions that you must have felt as these things were unfolding and happening. To imagine that you, Lord, were incarnated into the flesh as a little baby and grew up and you were every bit as much a man as any of us but gifted with being begotten of the Father. It's exceedingly difficult for us to be able to relate to that, but we know that you had human, very, very much so human attributes, which is why you fell on your face after the 
Garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, if it is at all possible, take this cup from me. And you hung your head in agony on the cross. Calling out to your father and saying, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? The moments that you had when you showed your humanness, even as our awesome God and awesome Savior, the lover of our soul, an example for all of us. Telling the world, raising the bar so much higher than it had ever been for thousands of years. Re-establishing a new set of rules in regard to divorce, in regard to how we love our neighbor, in regard to how we treat people who persecute us and our enemies, that we show them love, that we pray for them, that we would never imagine. If we are to love our neighbors, if we are to show our enemies love, because it's like heaping coals of hot coals on their head, that it draws them into you because into you through us and how we are behaving like you. How much more so must it have been for those who were in your presence to be able to witness that and be able to see with their own eyes the very noteworthy change that clearly had come over you when you were addressing when you were addressing those who were that you called serpents and scorpions that you recognized and saw through what they portend you know portended to be but you knew you saw it with your own eyes you could tell the difference between the Jews that were not Jews members of the synagogue of Zain, and and those who were well shape-shifting entities fallen angelic entities cherubim, dragon creatures that had fallen during the angel wars that were walking on this earth in the form of Pharisees, essentially shapeshifters, tares, part of the demon seed. And I may have my timeline a little dorked up and that's that's quite likely because I don't know exactly when the Khazarian conversion occurred. But what we're experiencing now today, Lord, as you know, is dramatically horrific. And it continues to get more and more intense and more and more horrific. It's not that it moves any faster. We know that you said that if you had not cut those days short, no flesh would have been saved. And we certainly feel that dynamic unfolding before us. No question. But the speed at which it's occurring is agonizingly slow for those of us who have taken the red pill, the 1,000 milligram red pill. Thank you for your encouraging words, helping us to understand that you understand the sadness that we feel in our heart, not just for being trapped here, but also the disillusionment and the dismay that we carry with us as we recognize we're here, oh, 
not just a few few years past when we thought we were leaving, but much, much longer. Having no idea really when when you're going to come for us, believing with all of our heart that it's going to be incredibly soon. I like the term either impending or forthcoming a little bit better. But watching the things unfold in the world now and the slowness, it's absolutely astonishing what the what the uh, synagogue of Satan has done to the land of David in Jerusalem and to those around them. It's absolutely astonishing for us to watch and see how those who do not understand who the synagogue of Satan are would clump everyone in Israel together as a single group and how those who call themselves Christians that don't truly understand the love that you have and our Father has for all of us that do not really know you shout from their podiums to the crowds how by virtue of their unlimited support for the synagogue of Satan out of utter and unbridled ignorance shout allegiance to things that are horrific in their in in every possible manner they are horrific the bringing of trucks full of food into the squares of uh i believe it was a part of rafa where thousands of people were gathered because they were starving and needed water and then to have them shot down 700 dead at least, over 1,000 injured because they were hungry. And then to have some of your real, your, your true bloodline Jews from the, um, the real ones, the ones that are not part of the synagogue saying the ones that are from the tribes protesting demanding the removal of Netanyahu, explaining to people on YouTube and different uh, audio, um, uh, video formats how they, why these things are happening and helping us and truly indeed helping us to be able to get our arms around what is almost impossible for anybody else to understand if they don't understand who the synagogue of Satan is. They don't understand how someone can call Zelensky a Jew, Soros a Jew, probably an untold number, tens of thousands, maybe millions. If 80% of those who refer to themselves as Jews are actually Khazars, which is the estimate, then how much more difficult will it be for us to understand? And how much infinitely more difficult it will be for those who don't even understand the concept of the history of the Khazars. 
and the following of the Babylonian Talmud, which explicitly states in its text the conditions in which pedophilia, sodomy, child rape, and other horrors can be performed legally and to, and including, and to include those practices. In tunnels buried underneath Lubavitch headquarters in downtown New York City, tunnels which interconnect to other exceedingly evil people on this earth, sometimes people, sometimes worse. Lord Jesus, this is so agonizing for us to be aware of. It is so agonizing for us to be a part of, to be even on the planet. It's agonizing for us to be even on this planet, seeing these things happen. All we want to do is love on you, be in your presence, reside in the secret place of the Most High. But for some reason, which we will never understand, maybe, maybe someday when we're in your presence, you'll help us to understand. But now... Right now, it feels like we'll never understand how we could have been chosen for a day such as this. And we certainly, I, w- I would think, I, don't, I can't speak for others, but I can tell you that I struggle very much with how I would have been chosen. And I certainly don't understand. I don't understand why so many have said historically over the years after going to heaven, that there are those that wish they could be here as well. I, I, I simply will never understand that. I don't know what it is they're talking about, because to just simply say they wish they were here during this time is so utterly ambiguous and without meaning that it's to suggest that if you were thrown into the midst of some of the darkest times this planet has ever seen, truly as in the days of Noah, there's an incredible, Lord Jesus, there's an incredible increase of uh, very, very large mothership showing up on the earth. People are guessing about the directed energy weapons, the green lasers that are catching so many places on fire and burning up our food supply so that we can starve. Pestilence and famine. And watching it become a reality around us. Going to buy food for our homes and our families and we can't even find a 10-pound pot roast Lucky if we can find two or three pounds for 40 bucks. The fulfillment of the third seal is clearly in progress. Deeply, deeply in progress. Grocery store shelves are nearly empty in many parts of the world. Probably the vast majority. Certainly in many parts of the United States of Babylon the Great. And it's dragging out. What are we on the second year now? Or no, we're uh, 
we would be about halfway through a full year since the orchestrated false flag event of October the 7th. And the lies that were told, the people that were paid off, the crisis actors that told horrible lies, the accusations that were nothing but more horrible lies, to justify what's happening over there. That's unacceptable, even in the eyes of your people, your true people that are part of the 12 tribes. And Father, I know that there's arguments that uh, the tribe of Dan went south and got itself in a lot of trouble, but in my studies under Chuck Misler, there was a strong indication that even the members of the tribe of Dan intermingled with the rest of the tribes before the establishment or for the full establishment of the kingdom of David. There's just no way to tell who's who and only you could know, Father. Except for their behavior. Except for the behavior that we see every day if we're paying attention. Oh yes, we could take the attitude that we're not going to look anymore. But then we would not be compliant any longer with your command to us. Where you said, if the master of the house knew when the thief was going to come, he would have watched. Well, if you're going to watch for a thief to come to your house, you're going to have to be paying pretty close attention. Because most thieves, as best as I know, don't come out with giant spotlights and shine them into your living room window. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, and we want to be able to feel, we want to be able to empathize, feel the pain that you had. We see the words betrayal. On the night I was betrayed, I took bread, broke it and gave thanks and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. But we don't feel how that must have hurt you. We don't feel the terror that must have been overwhelming you as you fell on your face and prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if it is all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but as your will. My will, but your will. How you must have felt when the closest people on the earth to you, the apostles, had fallen asleep when you asked them to watch and went off to pray. The frustration. Because even they at the time were not empathizing with the agony that you were going through as you prayed. We simply can't, we, it is we let us pretend only that maybe we were an apostle there in Gethsemane. Would we have felt your pain? Would we have felt what it was like for you to suffer the way that you did? Do we behave like we are in love with you? Help us follow, fall completely in love with you. 
Help us to desire to be in your presence, to please you, to love upon you and to worship you because we desire to. To not want to do anything that would hurt you. To do anything that would trouble your heart or our Father's heart. Being outside of the harmony of the precious blessing that has been given to us. Even to be considered for grafting onto the olive tree. Thank you so much for everything that you have gone through. Thank you so much, so much. We love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you, please, supernaturally anoint us that we will fall way, way more in love with you. Let us not be told like Odin was that we have a lot to learn about love. Help us to fall head over heels in love with you now. Help us to set the good example. Help us to be so excited about the opportunity that you have offered us that we can't help but take that opportunity to bring some others along with us and to pray and pray and pray. And to recognize that when someone asks us to pray for them or a friend of theirs, that it's a blessing and we are standing on holy ground. As that prayer list gets bigger and bigger, to realize how awesome it is that anyone would have even come to us, as unworthy as we all are ultimately, and ask us to join them in prayer for someone that they deeply love sometimes their own family, sometimes someone very close. Help us to see that blessing, to embrace that blessing, and to set aside that extra time necessary to lean in, pray through, to keep a list of the people that we pray for and never, ever stop praying for them. What a blessing it is to have somebody come and say hello to you after years have gone by and you recognize them and you say, hey, I've been praying for you every day, continuously, for years. I'm glad you're doing good. I'm glad you're seeking the Lord. I'm glad you recognize that our time is short whatever that exactly means. We thank you, Father, for showing us the things that we have been shown. We thank you, Father, for helping us to be able to see that the Olivet Discourse, if changed, if the Olivet Discourse, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation chapter 6, are overlaid on top of one another. They create a checklist each one of them speak of prerequisite events that must occur before the day of Christ comes. The day of Christ, which is a very unique phrase, 
the day of our departure, the day of our rescue from this dark, dark place. It's unfortunate, Father, that we don't have a way to disappear to a part of the planet that, um, you know, to just jump on a plane and go to a part of the planet where we can forget about it all, where we can go, you know, kayaking in beautiful lakes with waterfalls all around us in New Zealand or whatever the case is. It would be so nice that we could do these things. So such a blessing. But as the days grow darker, the borders get thicker, the rules get more uh, evil to cross over borders, the hatred between different groups in different countries grows, the hearts and the minds of those on the earth wax cold, even our fellow brothers and Christians, our brothers and sisters. As it says in John 16, too, they will kick you out of the synagogues. Yes, there will come a day that they even kill you and think that they have done God a service. But they have done this because they do not know the Father nor me. The love of our Father or the love of you. The love that you have for each of us. That we struggle so much to be able to intimately relate to. And we're asking for your help, an anointing of love to fall upon each of us, to draw us in to your presence, to make make us so that the love is very true, very real. We want to be absolutely head over heels in love with you and our Father. And we pray, please, Pour out that anointing upon us as we use the life and death and the power of our tongue to proclaim our love for you every day. We love you, Lord. We love you with all of our heart and we want to intimately feel your feelings. We want to become a part of you. As the Greek word says, when it says put on Christ, the Greek word enduo, E-N-D-U-O, means like a garment. Help us to merge with you, to feel you, to be you, and to hunger and thirst, to pant like the deer for your presence, and to truly recognize the agony that you went through on all of our behalf and to understand as difficult as it is that the love is intimate and personal for each of us. It's not just a general um, what would you call it? Stroke of the brush, if you will. Oh, I loved everybody on the in the, in the world. That each relationship is unique intimate. You knew us. Psalm 139.16 is for each of us. It's intimate. You knew us before we came here. You knew all of our thoughts, all of our comings and goings and standings, and the thoughts that we were going to think and feel and before it even happened. And we just pray in Jesus' name 
It's Psalm 139, verse 16, and Ephesians 2.10, which go together hand in hand as brother and sister verses or sister and sister verses. Father, we just pray, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will draw us in to a level of intimacy that we have never experienced before. And that our desire to commune with you, to meditate upon you, to be in your presence, to feel your heart, to please you, to live in harmony with your will, to hunger and thirst for the word which is you, and to do good works through love, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, praying for the sick from afar. We thank you, Lord, for the example that you gave us in Smith Wigglesworth when he was when he had traveled to Sweden, I believe it was. And the Swedish police knew he was coming, so they made it illegal. They made it illegal. Just for Smith Wigglesworth, they made it illegal for people to lay hands on one another. And Smith was not going to be daunted by that. He stood on that stage in front of thousands of people in a park outdoors, and he said, everybody that is sick, lay hands on yourself. And I command your body to be made whole. Be healed in Jesus' mighty name. And people were being healed and going out in the spirit all over the park. How frustrating that must have been for the demons, the strong men that inhabited the police forces that were there to prevent that from happening because of the seething evil of those evil rulers of such a dark, dark place. We praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for helping us to grow in our intimacy, to become a part of you, to put you on like a garment, and to feel your feelings. Because only then will we understand godly sorrow. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. We worship you. Let us worship you more and more, more and more, every morning, as much as we can over the weekend. Free us up to spend that special time. What a special time it is. Because when we turn our eyes upon you, Jesus, and look full in your wonderful face, the things of earth will go strangely dim. In the light of your incredible and beautiful glory, and grace. And then we don't need the kayak or New Zealand because we have you. Thank you for being our first love. Tonight is March the 1st of 2024. And the time now is 7.36 on the east coast of the United States of Babylon the Great. And tonight together, we light the Sabbath candles, or if you would prefer, the Shabbat candles, or if you would prefer not to light any at all, that's perfectly fine as well. 
I've got to adjust these little fins on my air conditioning vent. They keep blowing my candles out. It's not okay. I really dislike that. <laughs> Praise God. I like the light three, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The Hebrew Kadesh. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei peri hagafen Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'ratzavanu V'shabat kod shobaya in Chilanu, Zikaron Lemase Vereshit. Yihu Yom Techila Lemikra Ekodesh, Zechelitiat Mitzrayim. Ivanu vacharta, veotanu kidashta, mikol hamim. Veshabat kodshecha, beava uvratzon, inchaltanu. Baruch atah Adonai Mekadesh HaShabbat. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me, for you are my dove, hidden in the split-open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes are in worship, and lovely your voices in prayer. You must catch those troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I have planted within you. And we do not want that. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. Uh uh-huh. 
that I signed up for um, Oswald Chambers Daily Devotionals as well as um, Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to share you one of each, share with you one of each for today, March 1st. Hmm. Looks like it's about two weeks away from my birthday. Turned 62 on the 15th. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything to me. It's kind of like somebody was saying, oh, I want to send you this and that for your birthday and all that. And I was like, 
well, for one thing, I'm going to be so busy I won't be able to even look at it and because uh, of where I am with this project. And also, um, you know, after you get to a certain age, you kind of like, you almost like, I mean, some people aren't like this, but I, I am. You can almost like dread being told happy birthday when you hit a certain age. It's kind of like, ha ha, <laughs> happy birthday, one foot in the grave, dude. Uh, but anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, oh, we just love you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we can spend together and praise your holy name and worship you. Thank you, Lord. The preciousness of Jesus. And I believe this is from Charles Spurgeon. As all the rivers run into the sea, so all delights center in the Lord Jesus. The glances of his eyes outshine the sun. The beauties of his face are fairer than the choicest flowers. No fragrance is that like the breath of his mouth. Gems of the mine and pearls from the sea are worthless things when measured by his presence. Peter tells us that Jesus is precious, but he did not and could not tell how precious. Nor could any of us compute the value of God's unspeakable gift. Words cannot convey the preciousness of our Lord Jesus to his people, nor fully tell us how essential he is to our satisfaction and happiness. Believer, have you not found in the occasion of plenty a sore famine if your love if your if your Lord has been absent? The sun was shining, but Jesus had hidden himself, and all the world was dark to you, where it was night. And since the bright and morning star was gone, no other star could yield. No other star could yield you so much as that ray of light. What a howling wilderness is this world without our Lord Jesus. If once he hides himself from us, withered are the flowers of our garden. Our pleasant fruits decay. The birds suspend their songs. And the tempest overturns our hopes. Earth's candles cannot make daylight if the sun of righteousness is eclipsed. He is the soul of our soul, the light of our light, the life of our life. Dear reader, what would you do in the world without him when you wake up and look ahead at the day's battle? Boy, that one hit hard for me. That's when the tears started to flow. What would you do in the world without him when you wake up and look ahead to the day's battle? What would you do at night when you come home jaded and weary if there were no door of fellowship between you and Jesus? 
Blessed be his name. He will not leave us to face the struggle without him. For Jesus never forsakes his own. Let the thought of what life could be without him enhance his preciousness. Praise God.
hesitates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and like Zeb Hatfield when he recorded that one. <laughs> Had some folks in the room making some noise. It's a good song, though, praise God. This one is called The Piercing Question. It's from Oswald Chambers. Do you love me? John twenty-one seventeen. Peter's response to this piercing question is considerably different from the bold defiance he exhibited only a few days before he had declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Our natural individuality or our natural self boldly speaks out and declares its feelings. But the true love, the true love within our inner spiritual self only be discovered by experiencing the hurt of this question of Jesus. Peter loved Jesus in a way any natural man loves a good person. But that is nothing but emotional love. It may reach deeply into our natural self, but it never penetrates the spirit of a person. True love simply never declares itself. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before man, that is, to confess his love by everything he does, not merely by his words. Him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. Unless we are experiencing the hurt of facing every deception about ourselves, we have hindered the work of the Word of God in our lives. The Word of God inflicts hurt on us more than sin ever could. Because sin dulls our senses. But this question of the Lord intensifies our sensitivities to the point that His hurt, produced by Jesus, is the most exquisite pain 
conceivable. It hurts not only on the natural level, but also on the deeper spiritual level. For the Word of God is living and powerful. It does pierce even to the division of soul and spirit. To the point that no deception can remain. When the Lord asks us this question, it is impossible to think and respond properly because when the Lord speaks directly to us, the pain is too intense. It causes such a tremendous hurt that any part of our life which may be out of alignment with his will can feel that pain. There is never any mistaking the pain of the Lord's word by his children. But the moment that that pain is felt is the very moment at which God reveals his truth to us. That's deep. Imagine our intimacy with our Lord Jesus being such that we agonize truly all the way to our spirit. It's a deep agony to even think. I mean, not that I've arrived, because I I would never submit that I have. More like holding onto the bumper for dear life. But I know that the very idea of watching Passion for the Christ is absolutely out of the question for me. I can't. I couldn't imagine it. I can't even think of it. It's sort of like knowing what was going on in New York with the Jabal Lubavitch group, the Khazars. You know, knowing what was going on, what they were doing, and how horrible it was, you block out for your own sanity's sake what they likely were doing and actually believe they're allowed to do. You block it out. You don't want to think about it. For me, even though I've been doing this for a while, all the way, I, I, you know, I've been studying this stuff long before I even put the website up. So that would have been five years plus 2009, so probably all the way back to 2004. And during that period of time, I had um, the things that we are discovering only today intimately presented to me. Uh, no, I didn't see photographs. Thank God for that. Thank you, Jesus. But the descriptions were vivid, and they were concepts that were so alien to me and so hard to believe that I clearly understood them, and I understood what was happening. You know, concepts like woodpecker crates at Nellis Air Force Base and warehouses. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but they're horrible unthinkable, the things that they do to children to cause their souls to split, to 
have disassociative identity disorder, their ritual abuse, and so much more, so much more. It's so much darker than most people realize or, or should even want to realize. That was the journey that the Lord took me on. So I'm here to let you know without giving you the details that I was presented or were shoved in my face. And there's even more details being revealed yet today. So when Jesus said, there is nothing that will not be revealed or be known or brought into the light. You know, it's in uh, Matt, uh, Luke, I believe it's uh, eighteen seventeen. I think. I'll take a look here. I have it right handy. Yeah, there is nothing secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Luke 8, verse 17. Verse 18 says, Therefore take heed how you hear. For whomever has, to him more will be given. And whomever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him. Now, I would, I personally would, I would embellish this to be more understandable. So if it was the Johnny Baptist uh, (laughs) um, uh, translation, it would say, nothing is secret that will not be revealed eventually during the end times, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, because if you block it out and you deny it, if you turn and run away from it, if you say, I don't want to know anything about it, then whatever you think you know will be taken away from you. But if you do hear it, if you do acknowledge it, You don't have to accept it. You don't need to look into the details. But if you are receptive to what it is that God is showing us, even in these dark times, then we will be given all the more. Once we recognize the magnitude of the darkness around us and how bad, how evil, how seething, can you imagine the difference between evil and seething? evil? The practices of the Babylonian Talmud are seething evil. There's a difference between us. A cut on your arm. It's not even bleeding. And one that is infected and seething. But when we go back to this piercing question of Oswald Chambers and ask ourselves, given all that we've been shown, which, yes, is a burden, but I would submit with all of the, all of the commandments. Matter of fact, I wonder. I wonder. I am going to take a peek. Hopefully it'll load up properly and I won't have a problem with it. Oh, it came right up, so that's a good sign. All right, 
Let me go over to the electronic concordance. And let's look at the New Testament. And let's search on the word watch. That's a lot of hits. Okay. Ah. Okay, now Matthew 14, 25, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. Matthew 24:42 though this goes into the all of all of that discourse where they asked Jesus where they asked Jesus um what things will be happening on the earth how will we know what will be happening around us what will it be like to let us know to give us heads up that you're coming and that's when Jesus near Mount Olivet the Mount of Olives, really, um, where he um, he told them, he gave them the details, which created for us a checklist, especially when combined with Second Thessalonians chapter two and Revelation chapter six, Matthew twenty four, Luke twenty one, Mark thirteen, Second Thessalonians chapter two, and Revelation chapter six all lay over the top of one another. It's for those of us who are old enough to remember. We may have been in a geometry class at some point in high school. If you're anywhere near my age, you will remember a deprecated old piece of equipment that is probably nowhere to be found except the basement of the Smithsonian today, known as the overhead projector, which used what was called transparencies, thick films of well, a type of a shiny plastic of a type. Maybe, I don't know if it was plastic acrylic, I don't know what it was made of. But they were transparencies and you could overlay them. So in geometry classes, they were very popular because the, the teacher could draw a triangle and a hexagram or whatever and he could put the transparencies on top of one another and show the relationship between the two geometric shapes and also describe parts of it and how to calculate the actual area of a part of the sum. Why do I bring that up? Because if you take this, the, the things that Jesus called out in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, Second Thessalonians 2, Revelation 6. If you take those things, you write them out, and you put them on transparencies and lay them on an overhead projector, you will see a comprehensive list of all the boxes that we need to check. There's no doubt that we are the fig tree generation. There's no doubt that the armies that are gathered around Israel right now see foaming at the mouth to go in and destroy Israel. There's no doubt of the atrocities that are being committed by those who think that it's acceptable 
to commit crimes that Saint himself probably wouldn't even think about. Who knows? I certainly don't even want to know. But it's that dark out there, and I think most of us are aware of it. But look at what it says in the scripture. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Does it sound like he's asking? Is Jesus asking in Matthew 24, verse 42? Is that a question? It says, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You have Matthew 24, 43, which is a continuation. It says, what hour the thief would come. Okay, so what it's saying is, if the owner of the home had known what hour the thief would come, because Jesus comes like a thief in the night, he would have watched. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Does that sound like Jesus is asking us nicely? See, to me, it sounds clearly like a commandment. Matthew 25, verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Does that sound like an, a request? It doesn't to me. It sounds like a commandment. Matthew 26:38, And then he, Jesus, said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay, okay, now here he's talking about it, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said for them to watch. Stay here and watch with me. That's when he, they disappointed him. And he said, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Matthew 26:41, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mark 13, verse 9. But watch out for yourselves, that they will, uh, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will, uh, and you will be beaten in, um, you know, beaten in the. Uh, wow, darn it! Cut it off. It's only showing partial. The partial verse. Hold on a second. Oh yeah, beaten in the synagogue. I just had to adjust it. Matthew thirteen thirty three. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Does that sound like an ask, or does that sound like a commandment to you? To me, it's a commandment from from He who we profess as the Lord, from He whom we profess as King. Who, from he whom we know, is God. He's not asking. Matthew thirteen thirty four. Who is left? Who has left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Note the word commanded, by the way. Matthew thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, Watch, therefore, for you do not know 
when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Mark 13.37 And what I say to you, I say to all, watch! By the way, that has a big, fat exclamation point. Doesn't sound like a request. Sounds like a command. Folks, I could go through this list. I, I may just keep on going. Then he said to them, it, 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 okay, this, okay, so this is Mark 14, 13, 14, 38. Yeah, that, that there is uh, Gethsemane. Luke twelve thirty seven. Blessed are those who those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Do you want that blessing? And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed, are those servants? And he will take them to dine with them and serve them at the wedding supper. Praise God! That's so awesome. Luke twenty one thirty six. Watch. Therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Keep in mind, in this particular case, Luke twenty-one thirty-six. in this particular case, the context is everything. And I never say that because context is used by churchianity, to divide the Bible up into a waterfall of false dispensations to explain to the congregation why it's okay for them to sin. Oh, Jesus wasn't talking to us. He was talking to the Jews. And that was a whole different set of rules. Even though it says not too far down the road in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, Free or slave, man or woman, we are all one in Christ. But, I don't know, somehow the church and the formally trained pastors don't get that at all. They don't get it. They don't understand it. It's all right here. And none of, not one of these scriptures does there show a single question mark? Not one of these scriptures show or imply an optional dynamic. Every single one of them are fervent, forceful commandments. And so today, I submit not just today, March 1st. I mean, nowadays, I should say. In this fig tree generation, in this period of time, for I believe and I will continue to believe till the day that I die, or well, hopefully get rescued off this alien demon infested rock. Praise God, because it is. It's, boy, if there were demons here 10 years ago, there's got to be millions more now. The occurrences now, now we're seeing, um, oh, not just little scout ships flying around, little chariots in the sky that light up. 
Now we're starting to see the large motherships. Large. There's a film that's been released, a video, of a Ukraine pilot. And he uses the optics of the jet to zoom all the way in on a UFO. When you see how big it is, you realize it's huge. Absolutely huge. In fact, they even estimated the size to be somewhat tantamount to the size of the Empire State Building. Now, granted, to those of us who truly know the machinery, the uh, the various types of ships that these entities have, there are some that are bigger than aircraft carriers. And they still move silently over the buttes across the Indian reservations, many of which move silently into portals, like the portal in the Gulf of Aden. People have seen very large motherships move in and out of that portal. Very, very large. Probably some, something like those which were reported by Dr. Stephen Greer in the uh, Disclosure Project in the various news and press conferences that he has held, estimating 26 to 28 miles in diameter, very much like the movie Independence Day. I very, very, very strongly doubt that there will be a single human on the face of the earth that says, oh, look, it's Project Bluebeam on a 26-mile-long mothership hovers over the entire city and causes everything to go dark, blocking the sun. Because that's what we're heading toward. And I believe, it's just me maybe, maybe I'm the only one on the earth that believes this. I don't know. But I believe with all of my heart that if we make the barley harvest, the first fruits, we'll see, well, we'll be seeing the manifestations of various things in the meantime, we certainly, many of us have already seen the directed energy weapons manifesting in the form of a extremely bright, large green laser. And people estimate that those are being fired from airplanes. Some people have alleged that they're machinery in space from the Chinese. But I'm not so sure they're not coming from some of those large motherships. There's a lot of them out there. And when mankind sees what's coming upon the earth, as the scripture says, men's hearts failing them for those things that are coming upon the earth. If we learn to pay attention to each word carefully. Words like coming upon the earth, phrases like that will take on another order of magnitude and significance. Coming upon the earth. 
It's very difficult to come upon the earth if you're coming from what some claim is the inner earth. The scripture says they come upon the earth. Well, you're not coming upon the earth if you're coming from the inner earth. You're not coming upon the earth if you're coming out of the ocean, are you? That's the level of detail that we need to pay attention to when we're reading, particularly the scriptures that that Jesus used to describe the days that we are in right now, the days, you know, as in the days of Noah. Praise God. It's awesome. But we are truly, we're not just commanded to watch here and there. We're commanded to watch a lot. And they are strong commandments. Mark thirteen thirty seven. I will call to your attention one more time. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And that is a capital W with a exclamation point at the end. Watch. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So this is a blessing for us that have been watching all along. But whatever you do, don't let your watching, don't let your watching steal time from your intimacy. Because intimacy with Jesus, that piercing question, where it says, unless we are experiencing the hurt of facing every deception about ourselves, we have hindered the works of the Word of God in our lives. The Word of God inflicts hurt on us more than sin ever could, because sin dulls our senses. But this question of the Lord intensifies our sensitivities to the point that this hurt produced by Jesus is the most exquisite pain conceivable. It hurts not only the natural level, but in a deeper spiritual level. Imagine being so intimate with Jesus to be able not only to feel how hurt he was over what he went through, what he experienced, but also how hurt he feels that so many of those who he suffered for want nothing to do with him or how hurt he may feel because we're unwilling to put extra effort into our prayers, to pray for the lost, to set great examples to others, to have that boldness and courage in a world that is so full of persecution and evil to wear that Jesus shirt or put a nice name bracelet on your hand that says Jesus on it to open up the opportunity to talk about that which ought to be more precious to you than your next breath. Praise God. That, to me, is absolutely awesome. In Jesus' name, let us put him first. Make him truly our first love. So that that relationship with him, the idea of slipping outside of the harmony of his will, 
and our Father's will hurts. We know it hurts them. Can you imagine what it must feel like for Jesus to look at someone that he loves? Knowing what he went through and the pain and agony that he experienced for you and to see you behave in such a fashion that you obviously don't really care how he feels. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever been married, a lot of people haven't, but if you have been married to someone who you truly, truly loved, the feeling that you have when you know that you really hurt them, when that person that you truly, truly loved The sitting across the room from you in the dark with tears rolling down their eyes. You feel like the lowliest piece of whale blubber on the bottom of the ocean and there aren't words that you can say that will relieve you of the pain of knowing that you hurt that person that much. Many of us cannot, cannot relate to that. This is what we must strive for in our relationship as we spend time in the secret place of the Most High. In Jesus' name, we pray and thank you, Father. Father, we just praise you. We thank you, Jesus. Draw us in. Pour out a spirit of love upon our heart that we first fall in love with you, that you become everything God's and that we reestablish our priorities and manage our lives by those priorities. To not make up excuses in our heart of why we can't pray all the prayers that we ought on a particular morning because we're too tired or we didn't sleep well, but we discipline ourselves and make ourselves get up because we know there are so many, so many hurting that need the power of our prayers in their life. And the power of our prayers through the power of Christ in us may be the last opportunity that they have to make it to heaven. Let us remember that each day as we wake.
should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. 1 Samuel 12:23. We thank you, Jesus. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let not them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Psalm 1913. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves the souls of those who have a contrite spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both Come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Wonder where Jesus saw us before we were born. Huh. In his imagination? I'm pretty sure I know. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, consider this as you meditate on those words. 
You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Well, we know that there are three things that influence our walk. There is the godly side of our existence, especially when we're born again and walk in the, been born of the water and the spirit, the water of the woman through birth, and the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, but that then we have us, our feelings. That's why we have to have the renewing of our mind. Where is our mind? It's in our head. It's part of the soul energy that animates us and allows us to talk and think. All that. But the special ingredient that differentiates us, those of the Adamic bloodline, there's many that are not. At conception, we have the Spirit of God breathed into us, which is synonymous with Genesis 2-7, where the capital S, living soul, was breathed into the nostrils of Adam. Just a couple of verses after, it says, And these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God Yahweh Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Sounds like Genesis is a big old metaphor for a whole bunch of generations. But then we have to be born again. And we become renewed in Christ. A new creation. But remember that you've got the godly side of us, which is driven and invoked by our prayer and the power of Christ that is released on us through the prayer and seeking him. But you also have the dark side constantly influencing you, pinging at you, bugging at you. That's why I believe with all of my heart how, power, how important it is to use spiritual warfare to ward off those attacks which we're about to do. So you've got the light and the darkness both vying for your attention. The light has to be sought. It rarely just comes. Now, the scripture does say, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you you know do in my name whatever you ask in my name will be given unto you which is John 15:16 okay that is true so for each of us some of us are called and some of us are not some of us are blinded some of us are not that's why it says that we are to preach the scripture i believe the reason why it says to preach the gospel to every living creature why doesn't it why doesn't the why does the bible say preach the gospel to every living person or neighbor or whatever to use a different word why does it say creature are we supposed to go out and sit under a tree full of squirrels and read preach the gospel to them they're creatures. 
they're living. Now, I think the reason is is because the Holy Spirit, through those who penned the Bible, knew there were tares, and the tares were going to be on the earth. Vipers and scorpions. I give you power over scorpions and, you know, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I mean, you know, it's just all over the Bible. Jesus obviously saw the entities that were inside the flesh, the tares. Tares look just like wheat. If you're a farmer and you get tares in your wheat field, that's a bad, bad, bad day. Real bad day. And Jesus even goes on to explain in the parable of the weed and the tares that they're of the devil. I believe with all of my heart that he is essentially saying, well, not essentially saying, that he's overtly saying explicitly that they are the offspring of the devil. Just like it says about Cain, that Cain was of the devil. Of the devil. I don't think that scripture is referring to him being devilish. I think that scripture is talking about Cain being offspring of the devil. And ultimately, I mean, and then, oh my goodness, some of the things that the Lord has shown me over my journey, like the the, the people in the land of Canaan, everybody gets, you know, the, the pe- people get, they argue, debate the validity of the Bible. They ask questions like, where did all the people in the land of Canaan come from? Because you can, you can cut it up, slice it and dice it any way you want to. But at the end of the day, there are gaps, big gaps. How did, did you, how did God destroy all flesh through Noah's flood on the surface on the face of the earth, which by you know, and I gotta go back and look at the words and deep dive on it, but I'm pretty sure it says it that he killed off everything. Now granted, it perhaps does not say that he killed off anything that was alive in inner earth, so that is one argument. But how did the giants reappear after the flood? Did they burrow their way out of inner earth? Was the time in Genesis 6 where the sons of God came down on into the daughters of men and bore, um, you know, giants? Did that only happen once? How many incursions were there on the earth? Where did the other giants come from? Did they hold on to the bottom of the ark with a snorkel? If they were walking around on the face of the earth, wouldn't they have all been killed off by the floods? Did they have like really big watertight hatches built into their underground passageways so that they could twist them real tight like a Navy ship and prevent the water from the flood from coming down into their little hiding places? Or was there a second incursion? How many times? Where did all the people in the land of Canaan come from? I've read papers that strongly make the argument 
that they were never from Earth, that they were hybrid, which would explain in Numbers 13 why our Heavenly Father wiped out every man, woman, child, and plant. Because these entities mingle themselves with the seed of man in Matthew 43. Which is why God told the Hebrews not to go over and mingle with them. Praise God. Very, very exciting. I love, with all my heart, very deeply, the mysteries of the Bible. To me, there's lots of great stories and wonderful things, but when it really gets interesting is when the Bible itself stitches together the spaceships, the fallen angels of many different species, many different species. Again, who are the sons of Arcturus in the book of Job? Why does God dare say you know, in a daring tone of voice, can you loose the belts of Orion? Knowing Dagnabbit full well that you can't. It's a dare. He's saying, I am God, and only I can loose the belt of Orion. Only I can guide the sons of Arcturus. Why would there be sons of God on Arcturus? Oh, we're so self-centered. We can own the we're the only ones. We can only be the only ones. We're the only ones. It's just the earth and there's trillions of galaxies out there to entertain us. Because God got bored one day and started to splash paint up into the sky. Those of us who understand such things know that that is absolutely not the case. And it makes our Heavenly Father, and our destiny in eternity, ruling and reigning with Jesus, ever so much more incredibly exciting. You, go, you actually go through a phase. I went through it myself. We'll call it my intergalactic conversion. Because when I first, when it first occurred to me that there was no way that there were trillions of galaxies and no life. See, most people that think that all the life is on Earth, they don't understand cosmology at all. They have never read a book about uh, theoretical astrophysics. They have never studied the usage of the space telescopes and the fact that they used bulb exposures on black portions of the sky where there were no signs, no sign whatsoever of any galaxies at all, just pure blackness. Then they trained the trajectory of the space telescope on the completely black part of the universe and opened up the photographic equipment shutter and allowed it to develop for several days. And weren't they surprised to discover that there were trillions more galaxies? That's how big 
our Father is. I remember as I started to learn these things, I had to, you know how they have the five stages of grief? And there's different stages of emotional progression that all, all of us go through in our humanness, depending on whatever is happening to us. Now, if it's grief, they've identified pretty clearly the five stages of grief that a person will go through when they're grieving over the loss of someone very close to them, like a parent or a child dying prematurely. Um, the five stages of grief, let's see, they are denial. Oh, by the way, they happen, they happen um, pretty much uh, in disorder. A lot of people don't know that. But they do. The five stages of grief, by the way, I believe it's not just grief. I believe these five stages can be applied to learning that 9-11 was an inside job. I, that's what happened to me. I actually experienced that. Now, don't get me wrong. I immediately knew that it was an inside job. I immediately knew that it was controlled demolition. I didn't have to go through the stages. However, in the state of shock, and I don't even know what the right emotion is, kind of a horror, really, that horror that comes over you when you realize that everything you ever believed has to be called into question, that nothing in your future is certain, nothing, you know, if, forget about creating a college fund for your kids at that point, you know, I mean, it's just everything changes. But what I did see was when I was in that state of shock going, oh, oh my gosh. I took the material that I was given and I gave it to my friend Eric and I gave another copy to my friend Tony. They probably lived about eight miles away from one another. They knew each other because, you know, they just knew each other. But, you know, they weren't real good friends. And when I gave the information to Eric, he called me back immediately after watching the video of Richard Gage from Architecture and Engineering for 9-11 Truth, demonstrating the undeniable fact that the buildings were brought down by controlled demolition. And he calls me up and he immediately goes, what are we going to do? So he had a reaction that was more in alignment with my reaction. Tony, on the other hand, went through the five stages of grief. And it started out with denial, followed by anger, followed by bargaining, followed by depression, followed by acceptance. He immediately said, that's impossible. And he got angry. I mean, it was like his denial and anger were like kind of smushed together into one big surge of emotion. 
And then the the bargaining part would be when we talk to the Lord, we're like, Lord, no, wait, Lord, this can't be true. Oh, my gosh, everything that I was ever taught, Father, please. You know, if you're a Christian and, you, and you're a believer, you're going to be talking to the Lord about this because it's going uh, to yank the rug from your worldview, indeed, uh, possibly yank the, the rug from your cosmo, cosmological view as well. Um, but but you, you go into the state where you're like, you're kind of like bargaining with the Lord. You're like talking to him. You're like, what am I going to do? How can this be? How is this going to affect the rest of my life? I got to warn people, you know, you go into that unsureness stage where you, you realize that it's true, but you're not, you're like, you need an explanation. You need more. And then the next stage is depression. That's when You've gone past the bargaining stage. You're not, you know, God's not going to send Gabriel the archangel into your room and say, you know, with glory light all around saying, oh, you know, and the, yea, saith the Lord of hosts. The towers were brought down by the Israeli Mossad, who are part of the Khazarians, the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> which is true, but that ain't going to happen. Okay, and then then the depression hits for some people that are living in the flesh. Because if you're unable to make the transition, when the impact of that sinks in and say, ah, you have this moment where your emotions settle, you go for a little while into a, you, if you're in the flesh, you can easily go into a state of depression where you realize that everything you were told is a lie, that there are, there's, a, there's evil that is beyond your comprehension. And all the things that you hoped for, for your family, for your children, their college fund, you know, wanting to watch them grow up, have some grandchildren to bounce on your knees, all of that, you, you know, you're like bummed out because you're like, you realize it may never happen. And you're not even sure you want it to. Now. And then there's acceptance. See, the thing is, we can script, when we have a relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father, we can skip over the depression, but only if we're not fleshy Christians. If we're fleshy Christians, like the vast majority are, we're going to be like Lot's wife. We're going to look over our shoulder and turn into a pillar of salt. As we're looking over our shoulder at our children's college funds, but for those of us who have transcended the unfortunate stage of being a fleshy Christian, we can skip over the depression and move right into acceptance, which is the last of the five stages. Acceptance is a cool thing. Acceptance is awesome. Acceptance is when you realize that you, Philippians 3.20, that your citizenship is in heaven and that none of this matters. 
which is essentially the moral of the entire Bible story. None of this matters. None of it. Only Jesus. And over time, as you mature, and your spirit becomes sensitive to the love of Jesus, your spirit feels his sadness when you slip. You feel true godly sorrow when you dork up. Because you see the tears of he whom you love well up in his eyes. Your relationship has matured and he is becoming your first love. Praise God. That's where we all want to spend as much time as possible in that secret place of the Most High, tell Him you need to fall in love with Him, deeply in love with Him. You know, I did this morning, and I'm not trying to, this isn't, you know, the left hand talking to the right hand, or, you know, it's not like that. I'm just sharing with you. It was a very cool experience, and I'm not quitting. If I was to compare it to, you know, running the length of a football field, I might have made it 10 yards, maybe only five. I want to go all 100 yards. And I hope that you do too. Being your first love. You know, Jesus said, he who loves, oh, I feel sorry for women. I really do, because they have a special strand, of, not a strand, but they have DNA that men don't have. They really do. They're, they feel differently and very significantly more attached to their children than the men do. doesn't mean that the men don't love their children. And, and adore them and want to be with them and play with them and do cool things. I love my daughter. I love being with her. I love going roller skating with her. I, it was the best ever. But there is a connection that is unexplainable that exists between a mother and their children. It's definitely deep in the, in the DNA. It's something that the man cannot really relate to. And I feel sadness in my heart a little bit about that because I know how hard it is to face the words of Jesus who said, He who loves son or daughter more than me is unworthy of me. Will you look over your shoulder for your children? Or will you run to Jesus? Not hesitating. 
He who loves son or daughter more than me is unworthy of me. That's why today, in this very dark period that we live in right now, that is unlike any other earth period that has ever existed, arguably um, maybe not as dark as some of the periods before the flood, but certainly getting there very quickly, or maybe equally as dark, but the darkness is more hidden, which is probably closer to the reality of the situation we're in right now. But the problem that we have today, and it's not just today, hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, but much more so as time goes on. You take the time of the cross and you, as time goes on, the first century, the second century, the third century, each century that goes by, Satan erodes. He he twists and he lies and he erodes the relationship of those who are believers over time. In the very first several hundred years of the Polisians, who were a group of early Christians like the Bogomils, there were, they never, ever, 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 ever entered any of their heart to fight back against their persecutors. It never even entered their heart. Not one ever did so. Just like the Bogomils. When the mercenaries rode by horseback, sent by Pope Innocent, into their villages, called the people out of their cabins. They walked hand in hand with their children to the stake to be burned to death, and they sang songs, just like the Christians did when they were pulled, you know, uh, walked into the circus so that Nero could burn them to death and let lions rip them to shreds in front of all of the Romans. But they sang songs. There are accounts of Nero holding his hands over his ears and complaining loudly and angrily about those Christians and how they sing. Oh, how he hated it. Why did they sing? If we raised our children the way the Bogomils raised their children, the way the Polisians raised their children, we were talking about Jesus. We were talking about heaven. We were teaching them to lay their lives down for Jesus. We were teaching them never to deny Jesus. We were teaching them that earth is nothing as amazing and awesome as going to heaven and being with Jesus. And we taught them from a very young age. I learned to read from the Bible. My mom sat me down and she put a Bible, she plopped it in my lap and she said, start reading, Johnny. Now, my mom never taught me. Nobody did, not even in the 70s, not even during the Azusa Street Revival back in the early 1900s. Even then, Christians would not properly teach their children what it was like to be a Christian. 
We never taught them. If they had been taught from a very, very teeny little age, as a baby, as a one-year-old, as a two-year-old, stories about Jesus and how awesome heaven is, if they had been taught, they would have simply held our hand. There are Syrian children, accounts from missionaries of Syrian children when ISIS was, you know, when the United States of Babylon the Great through the CIA had created this group of sick, twisted, evil people that they called ISIS, just one of the many proxy war groups that we've created, including Hamas. There were accounts by the missionaries in the um, refugee camps in northern Syria Written down because it was eyewitness accounts where a mom, a dad, and two children, Syrian Christians, Syrian Christians, and almost all the Syrian Christians have been killed by now. Syria used to have more Christian churches in it than it had, like, mosques. <laughs> you know, it used to have, and, and Assad never had a problem with it. There was no persecution. Nobody got killed. There were no grenades like it, like in Africa being rolled into the churches and everybody being blown up. These were Christian Syrians, but they were very, very different than Americans. American Christians feel entitled. They have presumptuous sin in their hearts. They believe that because of one Bible verse, they're entitled. Doesn't matter how much sin they have. Doesn't matter that they preach once saved, always saved. None of that stuff matters. They're in like Flynn, man. They are in the club. They're going to heaven because they back Israel, and that's all it takes to make it into heaven. It it literally turns my stomach to see videos of that in action. The Syrian Christians, the mother, the father, and the two little children, and the account that was given when ISIS they they were told you need to leave the camp now isis is heading this way and their answer was no we will not there they stood mom dad and two little children and they said no we will not leave we are here to teach others about jesus and we're staying And when ISIS arrived, they took the father, grabbed him by the hair, shoved him to his knees, and took one of those big blades, put it over the back of his neck to cut his head off. And the kids were yelling at the dad, don't give in, dad, don't give in, don't reject Jesus, don't give in. And they stood there while his head was cut off. That is a real Christian child. But that takes training at a very, very young age. And that's how the early Christians were. To them, being brought to their death was great. They sang praise to Jesus because they knew they were going home finally. 
It was an awesome thing. Now, were they a little worried and stuff like that? Was there probably some tears coming out of some of the kids' eyes? Yeah, you know, of course. Nobody wants to see their some people they love suffer. But they knew and they sang praises to God, just like the Bogomils, just like the Polisians. It wasn't until hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that the Polisians took up arms because the devil got into their camp. The devil. The devil turns everything godly into sick, twisted evil. Just like we have everywhere on the earth right now. So when we study the history, the written accounts of the early, early Christian churches, groups, ecclesias, gatherings, Sort of like the effort of cloisters in Pennsylvania where they set up a whole bunch of little houses in a group and they all lived wholly separated away from the rest of society. Like the Amish, except now we have the Antichrist, Obama, and his minions, reptilian rubber mask wearing minions weaponizing the Department of Justice and going in. Did you know that for Pennsylvania, one of the, that used to be, Pennsylvania at one time used to be the single most agricultural state in all of these United States. It was known as the epicenter of all things agricultural. Now that doesn't mean that there weren't other things like oranges and, you know, strawberries and things grown in other parts of the country. That's not what I'm saying. But it was Every Everything in Pennsylvania was agricultural. Driving down the road, going to church on a Sunday morning with the windows down, and my grandfather's old Buick, my mom used to say, Oh, smell that country fresh air. What she was talking about was all the cows. <laughs> Everywhere. Cows and cornfields and cows and cornfields and cows and cornfields. Everywhere. Everywhere. You could drive probably two hours and see nothing but cornfields and see nothing but cows and farms, big red barns, sometimes other colors, green silos everywhere. The Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture just came out and made it law that it is illegal to grow your own fruits and vegetables. If you are going to grow anything, any fruit, any vegetable, any farm animal, anything, it has to be in a Pennsylvania state approved facility, complete with inspections and the whole lot. They implemented that law to destroy the Amish. And the Amish, I can promise you, will never, ever pick up a weapon. Because minus the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they are the closest thing to the early church on this earth today. 
Praise God. All right. So on that note, glory to Jesus. Let us go ahead and move through deeper into the prayer vigil and take communion and do some more prayer. Praise Jesus. And off we go. Thank you, Lord. Father, we praise your holy name and we lift up before you the very word of our Lord Jesus. 
In Matthew 18, verse 19, it says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. Father, we are on earth. And there's more than just two. And we agree together on earth. And we ask you, Father, please, first, pour out an anointed spirit of love that we fall deeply, deeply in love with you and in love with you, Jesus. Second, please, we pray. Please, that you will reveal to each of us anything, any behavior, whatever it is, that is not in total harmony with your will. We know we're not perfect, but we want to strive for it. Please reveal it to us, that we might pray and seek your help. We pray also that you will pour out a spirit of trust upon our hearts so that we can benefit by all the promises that are in the scripture for those of us who trust you, Father. Father, we also ask, please, together here on earth, that amidst these other requests, that you would count us worthy to escape all these things that are about to come to pass and stand before you, Lord Jesus, at the wedding supper. We thank you for showing us that Luke 21:36 is nestled in the context of the fig tree generation. In fact, it's just a couple of verses past it. Meaning clearly that it is material and directly relevant to the fact that we are the fig tree generation. Making that verse not applicable to the people in the 1200s, the 1400s, the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. Indeed, Luke 21:36 is only applicable to those that are part of the fig tree generation. And by checking off a list of things which he told us about, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, Second Thessalonians 2, and Revelation chapter 6, which all happen at the same time. That as part of the fig tree generation, when we see these things happening, which we clearly see all of them happening, pestilence, famine, signs in the sun, in the moon, the stars, two suns in the sky, four suns in the sky, power, signs, lying, wonders, green, lasers, dew, weapons, houses burning when trees around them aren't, motherships the size of the Empire State Building being spotted by pilots, filmed, not even hearsay. We see these things now. We are experiencing them now. 
the so-called sky trumpets are back more than they've been in years. Very pervasive everywhere. And people are hearing them and freaking out. The only thing I can think of that is left is a greater greater coverage. We already know that there are multiple Christians that are being persecuted. There always has been, but now it's hit the United States. The pastor that had the homeless people that he was feeding in his church got written up for 18 criminal violations. The pastors that were thrown in jail in Canada Many, many more. The people that were uh, indicted for uh, criminal uh, behaviors, multiple criminal charges, because they dared to pray outside of an abortion clinic. Anybody who thinks that persecution of the American Christian is not in full swing. Now, I'm not suggesting it's not going to get worse. And I'm not definitely not saying that. It could get a lot worse. And that's the only question we have left. Because all the other boxes are already checked. Signs in the sun and the moon and the star seas roaring. Check, check, double check, triple check. It's all happening now. And the intensity is probably going to get worse. I can only imagine how difficult it is for the weather meteorologists to contain their excitement and joy that El Nino is moving over off the coast of Africa and they anticipate one of the worst hurricane seasons the United States has ever seen this new in 2024. How hard they must work at keeping their faces straight and not smiling in glee because to them it's the most wonderful thing ever. They love hurricanes and bad weather. That's why they're weather people. They don't want to see people hurt. I'm not suggesting that. But they're definitely excited about the El Nino. I'm not. People don't understand that in 2004 when Charlie hit Punta Gorda, 90 minutes south of my house, I was sitting by the pool in the sunshine. When Ian, last year, hit Fort Myers, 30 minutes further south, I was rebuking the storm as 85-mile-an-hour gusts were hitting my house. The diameter and size of these things is an order of magnitude larger than I think anybody could have possibly anticipated. I call them apocalypticanes. That's my nickname for them. They are way too large. When Irma shot up the center of Florida, it absolutely beat, beat hard every, I mean, it, just, it didn't miss anything. It hit both coasts, the Atlantic coast and the Gulf coast. All the towns got absolutely smashed as it went up. And it was only like a cat one when it passed Tampa. People just did not realize we are not dealing, and it has nothing to do with CO2. The filthy reptilians, the filthy terrors, these filthy entities of, from the very, very depths of the darkest, most hideous p- 
parts of Dante's Inferno that are being allowed to continue their total onslaught, as Dr. Walter Weith would call it, on mankind. Our Heavenly Father has not stopped. Not one thing. The only thing that's suspicious is the elimination, or what appears to be, the wholesale elimination of the House of Windsor, which puts a lot of people's fire out if they think that the Tim Cohen teaching, the Antichrist and a cup of tea, is true. Why would you make a reptilian the Antichrist? Anyway, we praise you, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you. And we pray, Father, please cleanse and totally purify our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit, our flesh, our tongues, our record-keeping books in heaven, and our robe and gown in heaven with your precious blood and your holy fire. In the name of Jesus, cleanse us with your hyssop. Make us whiter than snow. Create in us a clean heart, O Lord. For in sin our mothers conceived us. We praise your holy name. Blot out all of our transgressions, all of our iniquity, and all of our sin in the name of Jesus. Purify us. For Titus 1 verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. Use holy oil at this time in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I consecrate myself into the total ownership of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all consecrate ourselves into your total ownership. Into your hands we commit our soul. Into, our, into your hands we commit our spirit. Father, into your hands we commit our soul. Into, our, into your hands we commit our spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. And we shall not jump out of your hands. We praise your holy name and we thank you. And the entity of the darkness, worker of Satan, live or dead human spirit, member of a witch coven, anything that cannot call Jesus Christ its Lord and Savior, that at the moment that you set your wills against us, you shall be immediately struck in Jesus' name by the holy fire of God. It shall launch down from the glory pillar in the throne room and strike you into screaming agony in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We declare the holy fire of God, a thorny hedge of protection, and a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit to blow it white hot and to surround our dwelling places on all sides, to rotate in a sphere around them that nothing unclean can touch us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare eight-foot-tall warrior angels to stand guard at the front of our houses. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and decree that this protection will protect our loved ones. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We declare the fire of God to vaporize all earthly and spiritual weapons, all fiery darts, and the entities to strike the entities that were behind them in the name of Jesus, to vaporize all uh, contracts of the darkness, all agreements of the demons to come against us and the demons that were behind them, and in any entity that would allow these spirits in or through their territory for the purpose of coming against us or our loved ones shall be struck by the fire of God in the name of Jesus. Father, we plead in Jesus' name for a platoon of warrior angels to be assigned to each of us to shut down all indirect threat vectors that may be used against us, to make good eyes blind, good ears deaf, and to stand guard within the, the hallways of our workplace, Father God, that we 
shall not be touched. Father God, we praise your holy name and we thank you for your divine protection. We pray that our warrior angels will ferret out all the darkness that is out there that might turn their wills against us and to strike them deaf, blind, and dumb, place them under arrest, and cast them into the pit. We declare the fire of God to weld the pit shut. We decree the fire of God to permeate the pit and to burn them in the screaming agony. Yes, we have come to punish you before your time, because greater things than these will we do, because our King Jesus has gone unto the Father. And Lord, we plead your blood to seal the pit, for only the Lamb of God can break the seals. We thank you for protecting us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father. And now we enter in to communion. Whoops. Our Father. Fair enough. forgiveness 
It was Kate, it was done. You had Calvert but Paul, and I can only imagine the thunderous sound as though heaven exploded in tears. We were freed from our chains, now all that remains is to never give in. We are destined to win, so we gather remembering the healer of our soul, destroyer of death, the Lord of our all, the light in our armor, the edge of our sword, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. For we believe in our land. All of creation Restored by his hand Eternity All is revealed By the time we remember All scars will be healed We long for your coming We imagine the peace The Lord and his bride When our waiting has ceased
you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people, a holy nation, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. not obtain mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. He, Jesus, went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by the angels, preached amongst the Gentiles, and believed upon in the world. Received up in the glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 We pray for purification based upon Psalm 51, 1 through 14. Jesus, have mercy upon us. According to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, we pray, please blot out all of our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we acknowledge our transgressions and our sin is always before us. Against you, Father, you only we have sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, we were brought forth in iniquity and in sin our mothers conceived us. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make us to know 
your wisdom. Father, purge us with hyssop and we shall be clean. Wash us and we shall be whiter than snow. Father, make us hear joy and gladness that all the fiery trials that are to try us, that have tried us, will still allow us to rejoice. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all of our iniquity. Father, please create in us a clean heart. Renew in us a steadfast, determined, perseverant spirit. And do not cast us away from your presence. Father, guide us, lead us, convict us that we will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Restore to us, Father God, please, the joy of your salvation through Jesus. And uphold us with your generous spirit. And then, then, we will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will be converted to you. We ask only, let Father, that you will deliver us from the guilt of our past sin. God of our salvation. And then our tongues will sing aloud of your righteousness. Holy Communion. For I received from the Lord that which I also had given to you, and on the same night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, and gave thanks and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. As often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim our Lord Jesus' death till he comes for us. For us. Praise God. Ani Lodori Vadori Lee. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Praise you, Jesus.
I trust in you in all that I do. sons of God. We are the masters of the devil, and we are the servants and foot washers of mankind. Oh, so I sought for a man amongst them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Ezekiel 22.30. We heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And then we said, Here we are, Father, send us. Isaiah 6, 8. We praise your name. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, Jesus. Ephesians 3, 21. 3, 20 to 21. Thank you, Father. Intensified prevailing prayer. Intensified prevailing prayer is God's ordained law and method for implementing his redemptive plan in this age until Jesus returns. It is the highest, the holiest, and the mightiest effort of which a child of God is capable. It is God's chosen way to bring heaven's power, heaven's resources, and heaven's angels into action upon the earth. Charles Spurgeon says, he who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Intensified prayer is clothed with the might of God himself. Wesley L. Duell, the book Mighty Prevailing Prayer. James 5.16b, the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Fervent meaning having or displaying a passionate intensity. Impassioned, passionate, intense, vehement, ardent, sincere, fervid, and heartfelt. We cast out demons, Mark sixteen seventeen to 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, that is in jest, that is in jest. Anything deadly out shall by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians ten four four uh, ten four through six. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not earthly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments at every high thing. 
Notice the word high, second order demons, principalities, powers, spiritual hosts, wickedness, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the power of the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual hosts of, I'm sorry, rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Praise you, Jesus. Mark 9.25, when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Matthew 12.28, Jesus said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. The strong man is this, it's like cutting off the head of the snake. You call out the, the, uh, you know, the strong man demon, which is the head of the hierarchy of demons that are inside the individual or the building or whatever it is you're cleaning. And then you called forth the subordinate spirits. Get out in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Matthew twelve forty three to 45. Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. The body of the person that was just cleaned. And when he arrives, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Because the demons were already cast out. And then he goes and takes with him seven other more spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. See, so shall it be with this wicked generation. Which is why Jesus told the man, Now go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So the moral of uh, Matthew twelve forty three to 45 is Jesus is basically, well, he's explicitly stating that demons will re-enter an individual if they are wicked and continue to sin. They've also got to be taught how to fight back against them because the demons are stupid. They're dumb as a thumbtack and they will try to come back anyway. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we hold up a golden bowl of forgiveness symbolically, Father, before you. We lift it up before your throne room and we pray for the peoples of the lands. Hmm. That's fascinating. I've already, uh, in my morning prayers, I've already walked all over all the different parts of the world and I find myself right back in the Middle East again for the prayer vigil. Praise God. Father, we hold up this golden bowl of forgiveness in the mighty name of Jesus before your throne, and we pray that you will pour it out upon all the peoples of the lands of the Middle East. As the scripture says, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Persians, all of them, Father God, in the name of Jesus, and even your people in the lands of Israel. Father, we pray that you will pour out this golden bowl of forgiveness upon them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If they did, they wouldn't do it. We part the spiritual realm as the Red Sea. 
above the lands of the Middle East for safe passage for heaven's angels, heaven's resources, and heaven's power to move freely and unhindered upon the lands. For Father is a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. We confess of the sins of the peoples of the lands of Israel and the lands of the Middle East. We confess of the sins of their first fathers and their father's fathers until before there was time. We break all yokes of bondage. We renounce all things spoken of in the darkness against them. We break all generational and bloodline curses throughout every branch of their family trees until before creation. Praise you, Jesus. Principalities, powers, and strongholds, spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of darkness in high places above the lands of the Middle East, we come against you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb of God, we decree fire swords of cherubim shot down from the heavens to cut you into pieces. We declare the fire of God to launch down from the glory pillar and burn you into screaming agony in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we decree hundreds of trillions of legions of warrior, of warrior angels, archangels, to follow diamond tipped sword sharp as razor blades to enter into war with you such as never been seen since before there was time in the mighty name of jesus christ hallelujah strong men come forth subordinate spirits out now in the mighty name of jesus christ we command you get out of the peoples of the lands of the middle east now in jesus name we declare and plead for an innumerable company of angels of war to descend upon you, to strike you deaf, blind, and dumb, place you under arrest, and cast you into the pit. We decree the fire of God to weld the pit shut. We declare the fire of God to permeate the pit and to burn you into screaming agony. In the mighty name of Jesus, we plead the blood of the Lord Jesus to seal that pit because only the Lamb of God can break the seals. Lord, Father, we're asking only if but for a time, only if but for a time, for a breakthrough. We declare the holy fire of God, a thorny hedge of protection, and a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit to encapsulate all of the peoples of the lands of the Middle East, the good and the bad, in the mighty name of Jesus on all sides, Job 1.9, in Jesus' name. Let nothing unclean re-enter the clean-swept house. And in the name of Jesus, we declare the crystal river, the living water, the abundant grace of God to enter into the spirit and the soul of all of those there. In Jesus' name, to fertilize the soil therein, that they shall receive the seeds of these prayers. These prayers will bear fruit, and the fruit will remain. John fifteen sixteen. And Father, we plead for an innumerable company of angels of light and love to enter into their dreams, their vision of the night. When deep sleep falls upon men to save their souls from the pit and father to seal their instruction for it is your will that not one should perish in the name of Jesus we pray and thank you father amen we will see you next Friday Lord willing praise God things are getting creepier out there by the day stand strong stay in praise and grow ever closer to Jesus. And also, forgive me for mispressing buttons. I'm still getting used to this sound console. It's like, a t it's, it's completely different than the other one, and I have to find, find the buttons and press things in the right order. So again, I'll figure it out. It'll just take me a dial. So anyway, God bless you all. See you next Friday, Lord willing. Lord, we come to you with repentance.
repentant hearts We seek you with all our might Sinners at the mercy of